I started talking to people on Facebook groups or something, the like investors in the area. So I was like in a Connecticut investment group and people were like posting deals and they were like off market. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? So curious Carly went and started Googling and found this like whole different world. And I started watching YouTube videos on wholesaling so that I could understand, you know, how these people are getting their numbers, where investors have to buy as far as numbers go. And so the first two deals I did in my first six days were actually from wholesalers. And I went to my broker and I was like, hey, like I did these off-market deals. And he's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And <laughs> I had this like... Am I doing something I'm not supposed to be doing or am I just completely doing something different than nobody in this industry really does on a regular basis? And I was like, well, it worked for me. I've been licensed for six days and I just made whatever, like 12 grand or eight, 12 or like 14 grand or something. I was like, I would say that's a good week of work. Hello and welcome to the Agent Podcast with your host, that's me, Raymond Schulzheimer. Let's dive in. This episode is sponsored by Inspired Title Group. Nationally recognized in 48 states across the U.S., where a portion of each closing goes to charity. Give them a call on your next deal. They'll close anywhere, they're remote. Visit inspired-title.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Agent Podcast. Today, I'm here with my friend, Carly. Carly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Me too. So Carly, why real estate? Why real estate? Well, my friends had always kind of told me when I was, you know, 19, 20, between like 19 and 25, they were like, you should really do real estate. And I was in the fitness industry since I was 18, actually. So the people skills kind of were always there. And then as we all know, COVID hit almost three years ago. And the gym I was managing, actually, we had to shut down. We were, we were Yale-based, so all of our, you know, students were gone. And I kept running my personal training business, but as far as like my salary job, that was no longer going to be a thing. So I kind of shifted and really dug deep and figured, you know, like, what can I do? Like, where could I be happy? Where could I be successful? Like, where can I use the things that I'm good at, you know, to the max potential? And I was in Newport, Rhode Island, and I swear it's like the whole world went silent. It was the craziest thing ever. And this girl across the street was with all of her friends, and she was like, I'm going to do real estate. And I was like, okay, well, that's, I'll take that as a sign. So right when I got home from that vacation, I went in and I started my classes. And then, you know, whatever, five months later was licensed and had my first two deals under contract in my first six days of being licensed. So. It worked out for me and, you know, I kind of picked an investment route. So I'm not really traditional agent wise, but for me, I've had a lot of success with it and I'm super grateful that that's kind of the path that I went down. So let's talk about that, right? Two and a half years ago, your license, you get your first deals and now fast forward to today, where's your business and what's happening? Yeah. So my goal my first year, which I wasn't sure if I was going to hit it going into it because I only knew, you know, the residential side, like, okay, I'm going to work all the weekends and I'm going to do open houses. I'm going to run around with buyers. And at the time, I think I was so desperate and I'm such a motivated person that I was willing to do whatever it took to get to where I wanted to be. But my goal was six figures my first year. 
And I did hit that. And then last year, I went way above that. But same thing, I just kept growing my business as far as investors go. Um, and, you know, I do deals out of state. I My first year, I actually did a 36 unit in Texas while I was living in Connecticut. So it just has brought me so many opportunities that I don't think doing traditional real estate would have. So to answer your question, I, what are we, six weeks into the new year? I think I've already closed seven deals and two pending. So it's been a good start to year three. So everybody listening is going, okay, how'd she do that? And then what is it like working with investors versus quote unquote buyers and sellers? So my question to you is, A, how did you get started with investors? And B, if that's 80% plus of your business, how do you focus on growing that pipeline? Yeah. So uh, again, when I started, I, I knew nothing. I had the expectation. This is, this is what agents do. And that's the end of it. So I had a friend in the class, actually, he was an investor and he reached out to me when I got my license. He was like, Hey, congrats on passing your license. You know, I'm just doing this class because I'm kind of bored during COVID and I figured I'd get MLF access, but he's like, I'm not really going to use my license for anything. So he's like, do you want to help me find my next deal? And I was like, heck yeah, because that's my first client, you know, within 12 hours of being licensed. I'm like, for sure. And I had no clue where to start. So I was with Coldwell Banker and it was December. I think I signed December 9th. So it was heat of COVID, almost Christmas time. No one was really in the office. I couldn't have any like hands-on training or anything. So I just started watching YouTube videos every morning. I had a routine. I read the Miracle Morning book, changed nice. my life, wake up at 5.30, watch 30 minutes of YouTube, do my journaling, do my meditation, all that stuff. I started talking to people on Facebook groups or something for like investors in the area. So I was like in a Connecticut investment group and people were like posting deals and they were like off market. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? So curious Carly went and started Googling and found this like whole different world. And I started watching YouTube videos on wholesaling so that I could understand, you know, how these people are getting their numbers, where investors have to buy as far as numbers go. And so the first two deals I did in my first six days were actually from wholesalers. And I went to my broker and I was like, hey, like I did these off-market deals. And he's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And I had this like, am I doing something I'm not supposed to be doing? Or am I just completely doing something different than nobody in this industry really does on a regular basis? And I was like, well, it worked for me. I've been licensed for six days and I just made whatever, like 12 grand or eight, 12 or like 14 grand or something. I was like, I would say that's a good week of work. So yeah, so I just kept teaching myself, like watching YouTube videos, like bigger podcast or bigger pockets podcast. I'm sorry. Who else? I watch a lot. Jerry Norton. There was someone, there was a female too that I was watching. I can't remember her name, but I just wanted to understand the business and learn how to run numbers and even see if deals made sense before I even sent them to my buyers. So I just kept networking my butt off. That's what I've always been good at is I'm such a networker. And I spent the first four to six months just talking to people, even out of state. And then those people were like, hey, I have this friend who buys, you know, 
apartment buildings in these areas if you ever get anything. So it just kept kind of continuously kept growing and more people kept coming into like my Rolodex. And that's how I've been operating for the past well over two years. I think I'm at like 27 months. So let's talk about wholesaling. Let's talk about how you sourced the deal and then who you sold the deal to. So I am very blessed that I don't have to do acquisitions. It is totally not my thing. I'm not a very salesy person, which is why I was kind of like, why do y'all think I should go into real estate? I'm not salesy. They're like, you don't have to be salesy, Carly. People just like you and they just gravitate to you and they trust you. Like, you don't have to sell anything. So as far as the investment side goes, I figured I could kind of do that by just having the numbers make sense. So I have wholesalers kind of, I guess you can say nationwide who are sending me deals back in Connecticut, whether they're virtual wholesaling or they have boots on the ground in Connecticut, but I'm pretty much the dispo. And I've had a couple of people also reach out in the agent world who are starting their own acquisitions companies as well, who want me to be like their dispo manager. So thankfully, I don't have to acquire the properties. Again, not my thing, but I'm very good at dispoing because I'm very good at networking. So if the numbers make sense, I literally have buyers anywhere in the state of Connecticut. And then I started doing off-market single-family dispo to hedge funds and institutional buyers more in Texas because the Dallas market is, you know, really hot for that. How are you building your buyers list? That's a really good question. And you mentioned networking, you mentioned Facebook groups, but are you, are there specific things that you're doing that work for you, right? Like I can go into a Facebook group and put, hey, you know, if you'd like to join my buyers list, I have a source for off-market properties, right? Sign up below. Right. And then have a Google form or whatever, but what are you so doing? So I do have a Google unique? form. Okay. I do have a Google form just to get people's criteria. That way, if something comes across my plate and I'm not like, oh, this person, like if, if one of my top people doesn't come to mind for that deal, then I'll go to my list and I'll say, okay, like whose criteria does this fit? But I would say most of them have been, most emails have been acquired through Facebook groups. I would say Facebook is probably like my number one source. Yeah. Of of buyers. Obviously you have to sift through all of the tire kickers and all of that. Like they're going to be kind of scattered throughout, but now, you know, I really have a solid foundation of especially my, my investors in Connecticut. So I don't really have to do that so much anymore, but if I get, you know, a deal personally, cause I do have sellers who come to me and they're like, Hey Carly, can you, can you sell this off market? So I recently did that for one of my clients. We closed on this deal early last year and it, he had a bunch of other projects going on. He's like, I don't want this anymore. So I offloaded it to another one of my clients. So that's the other cool thing about the investment route is you can double, triple close deals, which is really cool. So I would say most of over the past two years, most of them have been through Facebook when I, you get into the larger multifamily commercial space, it's a very smaller group of people. So it's like, you know, one person and then that person will connect you to three of their friends. And then those three people will connect you to more, you know, it just kind of keeps going because it's such a small community. But as far as like single family, like as far as residential properties go, I would say Facebook was probably, you know, the number one 
lead source for me. What are you using to run numbers and prove out the deals? Are you using tools from bigger pockets, stuff you found on the internet? Did you cre create your own? I kind of glance at the deal if I know the area. And then I'll just pull comps really quick. I'll look at the photos that the wholesalers are sending me and I'll kind of estimate what the rehab is going to be versus the ARV. And then kind of just use that 75%, 80% of the ARV rule. So, you know, if something's $100,000 and an investor needs to buy it at, let's call it 80%, just to make it simple, that's going to be 80,000 minus the repairs. So that's kind of how I get a quick number if a deal even makes sense. And then... If it does, then I'll dig deeper into it and like pull comps and send those out. But for like buying hold, I tend to very briefly glance at, you know, the 1% rent roll. So if it does, if that doesn't even check out, then I don't even bother. But it's kind of hard to run numbers personally because everyone has different criteria. Everyone wants to make something different on deals. Like I have some guys who they're not going to flip a house if they're not making at least 80 grand. Then I have other people who are like, oh, I'll do a quick, you know, three-week project to make 20. So it really depends on the person. Obviously, the busier people are, the more money they're going to want. So that most likely those deals aren't really going to work for them like they would for somebody who's smaller and starting off. Well, it's interesting because my experience has been that wholesalers, wholesalers specifically overestimate the ARV and way yeah. underestimate Estimate the rehab. The rehab 100%. Right? So like there's this huge delta in between that's, total yeah. BS. And like, I personally have went and put, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars down on wholesale properties, and then got all my contractors to come literally 12 guys show up roof, plumbing, electrical, blah, 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 blah. And I get the bill back. And I'm like, dude, no way this is never gonna work even. And it's over and above the estimate that I even came up with, right? So yeah. Talking about wholesaling, wholesaling is always interesting, because you know, if there's yeah. 10 deals, how many deals are actually going to get done because the numbers actually make sense? I would say it's probably like a fifth, to be completely okay. honest with you. Yeah, I would say probably about a fifth. Most of them, most of them don't check out a lot of wholesalers, as you're saying, completely accurate, which is why it's interesting dispelling it from an agent perspective, because obviously I'm more realistic on numbers and a lot of my investors like appreciate that because they'll be like, what do you think this rehab is? And I'm like, 100, 120 grand. He's like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like these people have it at 50. Like uh, most of the time they're not realistic. Like the numbers don't actually pan out. But every now and then, like now, now that I have my wholesalers that I constantly work with, they're very receptive to me going back and being like, hey, you know, the ARV, I just did it the other day. I was like, hey, this ARV is not, you know, 210. It's more like 175. Because the 210 that you're looking at was a three-bedroom, not a two-bedroom. So you have two comps here and two-bedroom that went for 172 and 175. So you're looking in that 170 to 180 range. And they're pretty receptive to it. Like, they'll go back and they'll try to renegotiate with the seller. So, I mean, I've had pretty... I've been pretty lucky as far as, you know being able to make deals work that maybe sometimes they weren't supposed to work. And then obviously the people I work with directly they're more realistic as investors and they know kind of how it goes. Okay, so let's segue to what are two to three things that you've learned over the last couple of years, specifically working with investors that you think have helped make you a successful agent specializing in investments? 
Okay. That's a good question. So year one, I literally almost quit like six months in. I had this client. He approached me. He had a GC who was also a female. So her and I were like, girl, powwow, ended up. And he was the most unrealistic and unexperienced person. And, but he like was sitting there telling both of us like, oh, I've done this, I've done that. Like, I can do this, I can do that. Like, I'll do $3 million flips at a time. And we're like, oh, like, this is great. Like, we're going to have like three, four flips, like every six to eight weeks with this guy. Like, we're only going to need him as the client. And I guess you could say I kind of sort of put all my eggs in one basket. And I regret doing that. But the mental health aspect of this person was not worth any amount of money. So I did a few things. I did a few things with him. We bought a house that was a little over a million dollars and ARV would have been like one seven. It didn't need that much work, but it needed, you know, it needed something. And the market was really hot. Long story short, didn't flip it the way that it should have been done. I was like, you gotta do the sightings in the windows. Like we are in a freaking two to four million dollar neighborhood. Like this has to happen. And it didn't happen. And it was just the most frustrating thing I've ever experienced. And it was so back and forth and up and down. And, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. No, 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 I'm not going to do it. Let's just offer a buyer credit. And it's like buyers who are buying, you know, $1.7, $1.8 million house don't want to do anything. Yeah. They will pay you more to not have to do anything. So that one was super frustrating. It was like 5 a.m. text messages, like blowing up my phone. 11 p.m. calls, having, you know, she all bent out of shape and having anxiety. And then like, it was just so much. It was so, so, so much to handle. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I'm literally either going to end up in a mental hospital or like I'm out of real estate because I refuse to put up with this. So I ended up getting another phone. And eventually I really got sick of it. And I started like, pushing back and I started putting up those boundaries like you're not going to get a response from me after the hour of 7 p.m or before 8 30 in the morning so if you contact me you're not getting a response and then it's like hey you know you do whatever you have to do but this is my expertise and this is what I'm suggesting you do and if you don't want to do it then that's on you like I don't have and he was like you should you should force me to do it I'm like I've been telling you to do it. I don't have your wallet. Like, if you want to give me your wallet, go, I'll, I'll gladly do it because this needs to happen. So it was just super toxic. So I think number one would be be very selective with who you work with. And luckily, I'm at a point now where I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to deal with people who drive me crazy or give me anxiety or don't respect my time. So I'd say that was lesson number one, probably from a mental health aspect. Number two, number two would probably be work with people who are experienced and who know what they're doing. Because what one person thinks is a good deal, another person can think is a garbage deal, depending on where their numbers are, depending on, you know, if they're going to be all cash or if they have to use hard money or financing. So I would say work with people who are very decisive, know what they want and are committal. And they, if the numbers don't pan out, okay, move on, on to the next. No, like back and forth nonsense. I'd say those are probably like the two biggest lessons I've learned from working 
with investors. So with that being said, how do you vet people? What's your criteria for vetting people to determine if they're going to be a good fit for you to work with or not? So I kind of give everybody initially like the benefit of the doubt, but I always do ask for proof of funds, like before I send someone to a showing or sometimes even before, if it's like an important deal that needs to like have a CI agreement signed, I will always ask for proof of funds first. Because if you don't have the funds to do it, then let's not waste our time. And then I have a hard money lender who I use pretty much on everything. All my clients love him. So, you know, I try to push them onto him because if he's lending to them and he gives them the approval, then I know the deal is going to get done and it's going to close and it'll be seamless. So that those are kind of like the two things that I do when working with someone new. Obviously, when I know them, the process is like super seamless. Like I had closed a deal actually while I was in Cancun with one of my clients. Same day we closed, we went under contract on another property. And my investor who was selling it, he's like, is he like legit? I'm like, yeah, I just closed a deal with him like three hours ago. Like he's legit. Don't worry. Like we're not going to have any issues. So I like being in that position where like, I'm confident in who I'm bringing to the table. That way my reputation also isn't being jeopardized. Yeah, that makes total sense. What are you focusing on for the next couple of years for your business? That is a laundry list. I have a lot going on. So obviously I'm going to keep doing, you know, my real estate. I have a team now back in Connecticut. So if I do have a listing, I'll have a co-broke on it. If I need you know, if I have clients there, like I'm working with one client now, I connected her with one of my other agents. And so he'll just open up doors, show properties, and then I'll handle all the important things. So like I tend on, I intend in keeping that all welling and going. I'm actually going to get my mortgage broker license just strictly for referrals. One of my clients here owns a mortgage company and he's like, you should just get it. And, you know, you know, so many people, you talk to so many people. So you could just do referrals. So I think I'm going to do that. That's my next step. And then I've gone back and forth about getting my license in Texas. I'm not too sure. Because mostly what I do, I don't need my license for. And a lot of my clients don't want anything on market anyway. So I've kind of gone back and forth with doing that. But focus more commercial. And then I also maybe like six months ago, started lending my money privately. So I just signed my second loan for a flip on Tuesday, actually. Congrats. So thank you. Thank you. It's nice when you're getting this passive income and you're like, oh, my car is paid. My rent is paid. This is a great month. So I'm going to keep doing those. Going to get into a syndication as well this year. Awesome. Once a good one comes my way, I just have too much going on uh, for myself to manage them. So I figure going into a syndication with one of my friends who, you know, I trust and yep. they're going to all manage the project. That'll be good. Yeah. So I'm kind of, everything I'm doing is real estate related, but I'm definitely have my hands in a lot of different pots. I love it. I think it's cool that you were able to find a, a niche and focus mm -hmm. on that. And that's created a foundation. And then that foundation is helping you branch out into yeah. different areas of that same niche, all investment-based, both for yourself and yep. for other people. It's cool. Yep, a hundred percent. And, you know, I get referrals on like hard money lending and private money lending as well. So my goal is to kind of create seven to nine streams of income inside of real estate that just go Amazing. hand in hand. 
So what is one thing that you are really proud of over that you've been able to do, create, build, accomplish over your three-year career so far? That's a good one. Okay. Let me think. I would say probably remaining true to myself and my core values and kind of gaining the perspective that money really is not everything. When I first got into real estate, I was like, so focused on being successful, which you have to be in order to be successful in this industry. But it got to a point where it was kind of unhealthy. I was struggling mentally, like my anxiety was through the roof. I was miserable. I was not fun to be around. I didn't have time for the people and the things that actually mattered in life. By the end of the day, I was working, you know, 14 hour days. I felt like I really didn't have a life. So I'm like, what is the point of making all this money? If I can't even enjoy it. Like I'm miserable. I can't enjoy anything. I can't go to dinner with my friend. I can't go travel. I can't do any of these things because I'm so focused and so addicted to the grind. And I was like, there has to be like a balance here. So I really, really tried to find some sort of balance. And, you know, all last year, I pretty much traveled the world last year and I had a better year than I did working 65, 70 hours a week. You know, I was working probably on my real estate business. I also own a personal training company. So my personal training business is like 20 hours a week. So I was probably doing 30 hours a week in real estate. And I had a way better year than the year before. And I was doing it from other countries. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I am most proud about is really staying true to what matters to me in life, which is you know, the happiness and freedom and flexibility and really finding a way to incorporate that in my life and make sure that I'm living, you know, a happy, fulfilled life as well. So why do you think you were able to do more with less? Well, you know, the four hour work week is a good start. I actually put on my auto response, I have an auto reply on my cell phone. If I'm in a meeting or if it's after hours, people will get a reply that says, you know, you've reached me either after business hours or I'm in a meeting, I'll get back to you when I can. So I think it was putting up boundaries and making people be more intentional with the time that they had with me instead of just, you know, shooting the shit and yada, yada. Like, I think, I think people realize, oh, okay, like she's really busy. Like I have to be intentional with my time. But I also think a lot of it has to do with like that law of attraction, like the positive energy, like energy flows. And, you know, when you're happy and you're living your quote unquote best life, like more positive things are just going to keep coming to you. So I think that was probably a main, a main thing. Like I was in a better place mentally. My energy was better. I was attracting better energy and more opportunities. It's amazing. I love it. That's great. Okay. I'm a strong believer in that. <laughs> yeah, me too. We can definitely talk for hours about that. Be well. 100%. Where can people find you if they are looking for an off-market property or want some advice or looking to grow? I am on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is Carly Worth, so K-A-R-L-Y-W-O-R-T-H. And then my LinkedIn, or my, I'm sorry, my Instagram and my Facebook are R-E, like real estate with Carly. So those are both of my handles on those websites. You can also email me at ariwithcarly at gmail.com. Guys, if you're listening, listen to this again. Think about what niche you're serving. 
I'll drop all Carly's links where you guys can grab them and check out what she's doing and connect with her. Carly, this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Agent Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by You Sell It, the number one do-it-yourself real estate photo app for incredible professional results. Hey guys, it's Ray. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks so much for being here and we'll see you on the next one.